welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, good morning again. As uh, Lorraine stated earlier, Pastor Mike is not here today. He is uh, uh, back with his family, extended family, attending to um, his mother who went to be with the Lord um, late Thursday night. And it is obviously a tender time for the Lucan family, and it would be much appreciated if you continue to lift Mike and Julie and his family up in prayer. So I am um, pinch-hitting today on late notice, and I do so knowing that Mike's shoes are quite hard to fill, particularly because we're starting this new message series called Long Story Short, uh, that Mike has put a lot of time into developing. So... I lean into the good graces of you all, the Oak Hills Church family, as I attempt to set the table for a series that I think is going to be challenging and edifying and relevant to today. So would you please all stand as we give attention to the Word of God. Our scripture today, you can find it in your app. um, By just hitting the little link there, or you can go to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your heart or your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but these days, uh, most people's Bibles are actually an app on their phone. It's just a lot more convenient to double tap that little Bible icon and suddenly you find yourself in Exodus or the Psalms or the epistles. I know that for myself, I use the Bible app all the time. In fact, I hardly ever pick up an actual Bible made made up of pages and binding and cover anymore. But I'm starting to think that there may be something lost in the experience of the Bible in an app. I felt that the other day when I pulled out my own old NASB, the New American Standard Bible, which was the first Bible that I had when I first became a Christian. It's this thick, heavy book with lots of skinny pages and lots and lots of densely packed words. As I leafed through this old book, I had waves of memories hit me, like an ocean tide lapping on a quiet beach. There was so much that I learned about God in that particular book who he is, what he did for us, why he loves us. When I started to learn from the Bible, when I started to learn how to study it, life started to make sense in deeper and more profound ways. I remember using the table of contents to find the page numbers for the different books of the Bible because I didn't know where they were. I remember being fascinated by the commentaries, the footnotes, the maps, and I As I perused this beat-up old book, I saw the dog-eared pages and the places in the margins where I had written notes and where I had underlined passages that were significant to me in that moment in time. 
I stopped using it when the cover fell off and it began to started to come apart and I moved to an NIV study Bible at that time. I remember that as a new Christ follower being in awe of the truth and the beauty and the wisdom of this collection of stories and poetry and prophecies and letters that we call the Bible. Like the actual wisdom of the entire universe had been opened up to me because it had been. But over time, that kind of faded a little bit. Why? Why did I lose that sense of awe? When did I start taking the Bible for granted? Why do I too often just scroll through the Bible now like it's a simple reference book, like a dictionary or a user's manual? When I grab a Bible and I hold it in my hand and I look at it and I feel it, it can be quite an intimidating book. There's so much to it. Hundreds of thousands of words, 66 books, two testaments, and some of the books can be quite long too. 50 chapters in Genesis, 150 in Psalms, 66 in Isaiah, 52 in Jeremiah, and no pictures. But every now and then, we find sections of the Bible where it seems that the biblical authors have set out to make a long story short. Five books of the Bible have but one skinny chapter. In the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah, and in the New Testament, the book of Philemon, the letters of 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. So, for the next several weeks, we thought it would be good and appropriate and even fun to look at each of these short books and the short but vital message that each of them contains. And so that's why we're calling this series Long Story Short. Because God, who is the author of days and writes the story of the universe, thought it important to provide us with these short but significant books. Books to provide us with guidance and truth about the messiness of life and relationships. Our hope in this Long Story Short series is to inspire our engagement with the Bible. Because the words in the Bible are not just words. They are potent, life-giving, and life-shaping words that God has inspired to correct, rebuke, and encourage us to use the Apostle Paul's phrase in 2 Timothy. And make no mistake about this, it is impossible to follow Jesus in any meaningful, substantive way or hear from God in any authentic way apart from engaging in the Bible. Reading it, contemplating it, reflecting on it, bathing our minds and our hearts with it so that we might understand God's mind and heart and transform ourselves through it. God reveals himself and his mind and his heart through scripture. He shows us his ways through it. Now, like most things that are short or small or quiet or hidden, these five one-chapter books of the Bible are usually ignored or overlooked. I mean, honestly, when was the last time that you read Obadiah? Now, we have a tendency to park in the bigger books of the Bible, like Genesis or Romans or Psalms. The big books get all the press, and the short ones are often overlooked. But we think these short books contain a vital message for us, and so we're going to dig into them during this series. Now, today is simply an introduction to the series, and I want to give you a few reminders 
of why we need to regularly engage in the Bible. And the first is this. The Bible relates to ordinary life. Think about this. The vast majority of the Christian experience is lived out in these unspectacular details and challenges of everyday life. In other words, following King Jesus happens most often in the small and uneventful moments. It usually happens in the mundane details of life and relationships and pressures and difficulties. In the small conversations, in the small interactions with others, in the small thoughts in our brains, and in the small but significant trials and tribulations of life. Loving God and loving others in the midst of the countless twists and turns of this life, pandemics and job losses, financial strains and financial gains, decisions related to raising children and decisions related to caring for aging parents, navigating loss and loneliness, finding joy, experiencing peace, dealing with depression, facing another day, working through interpersonal conflict, learning how to not get what we want, learning how to extend grace, learning how to accept forgiveness. This is the stuff of life. This is the stuff that fills our time and attention most days. And it is in these ordinary life circumstances and challenges that we, as people of faith in Jesus Christ, seek to live out our faith and live in the reality of God's kingdom. Isn't that the trick of it? Referring back to our scripture in Deuteronomy, how do we align our hearts and souls and minds and strengths to God and his ways in the midst of everyday life circumstances and challenges? We love God and we profess Jesus as Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is present. And while this doesn't necessarily change the stuff of life or alter life, it does change us. It does change how we navigate the stuff of life. Once again, Deuteronomy says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And this is really just concrete, practical instruction. Now, you might know that this instruction in the entire book of Deuteronomy was given to the people of Israel after they left slavery in Egypt and before they entered into the promised land. So these instructions were given to the people of God during that time so that they would know how to become the people of God. One of the reasons books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the other Old Testament books, why they're so full of particulars and details about when to do this or how to do that, is to stress to the people of God that they are the people of God. And that means that everything they do in the nitty-gritty of life is to reflect his identity as the people of God, even talking and sitting and walking and lying down and getting up. The truth of God was to be as apparent and as normative as the hands and foreheads, as ordinary as the door frames and the gates they walk through every single day. So as we go through these next six weeks of the series, we'll talk about the practical matters addressed in the Bible. 
real people who are dealing with real issues and everyday guidance of the Bible to navigate these issues with God and in his wisdom. And through it, you'll see that one of the running themes in this is this ongoing commitment to love one another in Christ. Second thing I want to point out uh, this morning is the Bible helps us reflect the kingdom. Have you ever written a note or an email or a text to someone in order to just give them some little, a little bit of advice or encouragement? It might be a note you stuff in your child's lunch bag or an email to a coworker or a card to a precious friend. I know that occasionally I will get a short note or an email from one of you and it always encourages me and fills me up. Well, the Bible is very much like that. God gave us the Bible so that he might impart his wisdom, wisdom that helps us understand how to navigate ordinary life in ways that reflect the goodness of his kingdom. As Christ followers, the question of how then shall we live is spelled out in scripture. The stories and teachings and admonishments and commands and challenges and points of confrontation provide us with a clarity and a wisdom so that we know how to live in a way that honors God and reflects his goodness. We have to remember that the writers of the books of the Bible were just ordinary people who wrote to other ordinary people. So the words aren't just ethereal platitudes. They are practical ways in which we can live aligned to the kingdom of God. Now, I think some people have a very wrong view of the Bible. They think that it's like a book of do's and don'ts, a, a rule book. Or they think it's like a self-help book, like seven habits of highly sanctified people. But that makes the Bible far too small. The Bible is the story of God drawing the entire universe into his benevolent kingdom through his love and his grace. It is a story of redemption where all of history converges in Christ and everything changes in the light of his coming. And because it so beautifully describes God's heart and perspective, it shows us the wisdom of God and how it contrasts with the instincts and defaults and foibles of people. If you just look at the book, first book of the Bible, Genesis, for example, you see very plainly how life can be under God when he is heard and obeyed versus how life is when humans do whatever they want to do. We say a way of love and grace and also a way of sin and depravity and selfishness. If we are smart, we are able to discern the ways of the kingdom and apply that to our day-to-day -day situations in a way that is God-glorifying and kingdom-oriented. So the Bible is God's wisdom that helps us in how to navigate ordinary life in ways that reflects the goodness of his kingdom. Even in the craziness of our political climate, even in the weirdness of the socially distanced lockdown. The third and last reminder I want to offer you is this. The goal is to transform, not consume. I'm going to say that again. The goal is to transform, not consume. So let me explain that. From a very early age, we, 21st century North Americans, have been taught to be consumers. Consumers of products, 
consumers of services, consumers of media. We are undoubtedly the most finely tuned consumers the world has ever seen. We are triple pump soy milk extra whip latte people. We are binge watching credit extended Black Friday and Cyber Monday people. We are always looking for better, faster, finer ways to consume things and services and media. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to take our consumer sensibilities and then we apply them to our reading of the Bible. So we read the Bible with the intent of always trying to get something out of it. So we read it for information and perhaps that's not all bad. And then perhaps we also read it to undergird what we already believe about God and ourselves and the world. And that can be iffy. Or we use it to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and justify a certain way of thinking or judge others. And that can be dangerous. But that isn't the way it's supposed to be, right? The goal is not getting through the Bible. Our goal is to let the Bible get through us. In other words, we have to allow our reading of the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit and our submission to the Father through the Son to transform us, to change us, to make us new. We have to allow the truth and the wisdom and the beauty of the Bible to mold us and reshape us and even thrash us about a little bit when we need it so that God can have his way with us. Knowing the Greek etymology of a word in 1 Corinthians is cool, but it's just titillating information until it transforms us somehow. So one of the benefits of taking just a little bit, a little book of the Bible is to read is that we can spend more time with a smaller bit of scripture. We can sit in it, stew in it, let it infuse us like tea leaves in hot water. I, I live, Dave, I gave that one for you. And we will be doing all of that in this series. Let me um, speak plainly for Mike and myself and others who have the privilege and responsibility to stand behind this podium here at Oak Hills and preach. We, we spend an awful lot of time preparing and delivering these messages. And then in our quiet moments, in our internal dialogue where no one else can hear, we often think to ourselves, did what I say even matter? Did they really heard, hear what I said? Is what I am preaching making any kind of difference in people's lives? In other words, yeah, we think you heard what we said and maybe you walked away briefly with a note or two, but did we present the word of God in a way that seeped into you and became an actual catalyst for your transformation? Because that's what scripture is intended to do, if we let it. I, I worry about this, and I know Mike does too. Were our words a catalyst for real transformation in the souls of people, in your souls? Or did we simply titillate the crowd today with our words? It's my prayer that in these next few weeks, we will see the former. And I hope that you will be prayerfully partnering with us as we attempt to allow scripture to change us in an indelible and eternal way. So will you do that with us? Will you take that step?
Okay then, I have uh, some very practical things I'd like for you to do each week in this series. In other words, I'm giving you homework. And these things will be covered in the message notes section in your app if you want to check that out. The first thing is that we'd like you to read the book that we will be covering the week beforehand. For example, next Sunday, we will be looking at the book of Obadiah in the Old Testament. As we said, these are all short books, and Obadiah is only 21 verses long. So, we would like you to read it at least one time all the way through, and preferably one time every day, in preparation for the next Sunday when Mike preaches on it. Now, just a warning that Obadiah feels very Old Testament. It's one of the books of prophecy, so it will have a certain ancient flavor to it. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't hold truth for us today. Now, here's the thing about reading these short books. There's a particular way that we want you to read it. We would want you to read it and read it slowly to allow it to seep into you. As you read it, be cognizant of the Spirit of God and ask him to open up a sense of understanding for you. As you read it, look for a word or a phrase or an idea or a verse that speaks to you or encourages you or challenges you. And then if it helps, write down your thoughts as you read it. You might even want to do a little bit of the background behind the book to give you context. And then every time you read it, Pray for that word or phrase or verse or idea to take root into you. Will you do that? I'm seeing a lot of blank faces. Okay. So let me summarize what I just said. And th this is in uh, the app as well. One, read slow. Read with the spirit. Look for the key phrase or idea. Journal your thoughts. And pray. That's it. Now, a closing comment. Our scripture passage this morning actually isn't just from the book of Deuteronomy. During the course of his earthly teaching, Jesus had many opponents and detractors. After all, his words and his teaching disrupted the social and political orders as he invited us to a better way, to a kingdom-oriented way. During Jesus' earthly ministry, several sects were trying to trap Jesus with his rhetoric, with their rhetoric, I should say. They were actually trying to outwit him by exposing his lack of scriptural knowledge. And so in the midst of a heated conversation, a pharisaical lawyer baits Jesus with this question. He says, which is the greatest commandment? Of course, Jesus doesn't hesitate, and he provides us with the perfect definitive answer. He quotes the Torah from the book of Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. So Jesus quotes this passage from Deuteronomy back to the Pharisees as a response to them. And it ends up being recorded in the Gospels in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, in Mark 20, uh, 12, 29 and 30, and in Luke ten twenty-seven. It is, in fact, referred to as the great commandment. And everything we do and everything we are as Christ followers springs from this truth. 
Now, in this series, we want the words of God through the Spirit of God to help these truths be on our hearts so we can impress them on our children, so we can talk about them at home or on the road or when we go to bed at night or when we wake up in the morning. So we can live these truths before us as if they were bound on our hands and on our heads so that we can reflect the kingdom of God from the doors and the gates of our homes and out into all the world. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, impress us once again with the truth and wisdom and beauty of your word. Lord, let it seep deeply into us and transform us. Reveal your heart and your mind to us. Incline our hearts to love you more and more with all that we are. And may that love spill out into our worlds. We love you, Lord. Amen.